Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I feel like a flock of birds should have followed me. <laughs> that music is so beautiful. I feel like there should be birds and bunnies beside me right now, all ready to preach with you. Um, good morning, everyone. Actually, thank goodness there are birds and bunnies up here. They'd be really scared of my message this morning. I meant to write a really light-hearted message. It's not. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> Um, I spoke on uh, Advent. Actually, I opened Advent a couple of years ago in 2017. It was a year after the elections. And I spoke on hope as well. This, today's sermon is on hope. And when I talked about hope at uh, that time, um, I talked about how it must have been difficult for everyone to like, go back and spend Thanksgiving with your families if you didn't um, align with them politically because of all the political debates that happen in Thanksgiving. Did anyone have that experience? Some? Because first service, no one did. <laughs> I'm like, well, good for you. <laughs> because for me, honestly, that time when I preached about it, I hadn't had much experience with that. I'd only lived in New York um, a few years then. I've been in New York eight years now. And so I hadn't, like, I'm, we're in a bubble here. So I hadn't really been exposed to anyone who thought differently politically. And then even um, at this church, I hadn't really had the exposure to anyone who thought conservatively, theologically, until I went to seminary. So I'm in an awesome sem seminary right now, and it's um, theologically diverse, it's politically diverse, racially diverse, socioeconomically diverse, all the diversity labels you can imagine. It's awesome. But it also means that I mean these debates, these heated debates of the Thanksgiving kind every single week. Oh my word, it's exhausting. How do you do it? So, so, and then um, if you're friends with me on Facebook, or one of my five followers on Twitter, <laughs> Twitter plug there, um, you might have noticed that I talk about, uh, about the situation in Hong Kong, because I'm in Hong Kong, and Hong Kong's own political climate has been quite divisive lately. Um, there was, uh, they've been protesting for quite some time, but six months ago it escalated, and uh, most of the population were on board initially. Um, but now that there have been clashes with the police, shooting tear gas at the protesters, and the protesters retaliating by burning things and throwing petrol bombs at them, and it's, it's a pretty hopeless situation. Um, there are people in the public that are now being affected because this tear gas like spreads everywhere. So if they're not affected by the tear gas, then their commute to work or just trying to live life every day is affected because they can't get to work. The protesters have blocked off streets and like stopped the train from moving. So it's affecting everyone. And they've been divided as to how uh, their, their reaction to these protests going on. Some are all for it and think, thank God there are people out there that are fighting for the continued democracy of Hong Kong and fighting for universal suffrage. And then some are thinking, but these protesters don't know what they're doing. They're just wrecking the entire, like Hong Kong is a beautiful safe space and destroying the economy. But wherever they stand, I'm sure they can agree that the situation feels pretty hopeless. And they don't know what's going to happen 20 years from now when um, China has full reign over Hong Kong. So please keep them in your prayers. And I mention this because we see this kind of uprising happening everywhere. It's happening in Ecuador, in Bolivia, in Chile, in Lebanon, Iraq, Iran, uh, Barcelona. 
And so the same kind of political division that I've witnessed here in the US, having only lived here eight years, I'm seeing now, and now I'm more aware, and I'm seeing it throughout the world. And in the US, we're seeing today that we're even more divided than we have been since the 70s. And I mention this because this is exactly what the political climate was like in the Gospel of, of Luke when Jesus was doing his ministry. And we're talking about that story today. There was a social divide between the rich and the poor. And um, Jesus would address this numerous times throughout the book of Luke. There is also a, a divide amongst those who are suffering from the oppression of the Roman government and those who kowtowed to the Roman government in order to get a leg up on everyone else. But the one thing that they all had in common was this feeling of hopelessness. It all seemed pretty hopeless because the Roman Empire had such a stronghold over the nation of Israel and it didn't seem like anything would change in the future. And then comes Jesus. Armin, they're sitting right here. You're good. <laughs> I said I'd call him out if he was late, so there it happened. <laughs> um, sorry, where was I? Here I am, no. Yeah, they had such a stronghold. Oh yeah, then came Jesus. So Jesus came and he's talking about a whole new way of doing things. He's talking about turning the world upside down, that the first would be last and the last would be first. He's saying that there's gonna be an inversion of the power of the rich versus the oppression of the poor. He's saying, he said this in Luke chapter six, verse 10, blessed are you who are poor. He said this amongst people who understood that poverty was a curse. So hope naturally was brewing amongst the people, especially if you were marginalized or a person of the lower class. So there was hope that this rabbi might stand up for them and things would change. And the story that I'm talking about this morning is about Zacchaeus, who is a tax collector whom everyone despises, but Jesus takes a notice of. So let me read you the story. If you have your phones, you can turn to Luke chapter 19 verses 1 through 10. He, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and say, he has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man had come, the son of man came to seek out and to save the lost. So the author tells us that Jesus is walking through a crowd, but it's not just any crowd because the uh, Greek translation tells us specifically that this crowd is a mob. It's a rabble. It's a crowd of unruly, disorderly, lower class people that are surrounding Jesus. 
And then here comes Zacchaeus, who's probably heard about Jesus and now wants to get a closer look at him. And so here's the lowdown on Zacchaeus, because I didn't quite understand why everyone hated him so much. I mean, it can't just be the tax collector thing. And so I did some really deep study into this passage. Zacchaeus wasn't just an ordinary tax collector. Does anyone know why people didn't, back then didn't like tax collectors? They kept what? They kept the money. So they would charge the taxes, but then they'd keep a part of it or charge them more. So that's why people didn't like them. See, Zacchaeus was the chief of the tax collectors. So what, what he didn't just, he was in charge of all the people that was doing this. So not only did he condone their behavior, but he was probably getting a cut from all of their cut. You know, they were taking some, and so he was getting a cut out of that. Now, to add insult to injury, though, the text tells us that Zacchaeus is a descendant of Abraham, which means he's a fellow Israelite. So he's one of them. He's watched them suffer and has witnessed their hardships, um, their oppression by the Roman government. But he still did what he did, taking advantage of them. And that's totally messed up. So they call him a sinner, not just because they did, he did bad things, but because, and the, word, the translation of the word sinner here is detestable, it's because they despised him for what he was doing to his own people. So Zacchaeus was possibly the most hated, greediest rich guy in Jericho. Now, can anyone think of a modern day equivalent of that, who takes advantage of people so that they can get to the top? I mean, I can think of one. I'm trying really hard not to say his name. Let's try a different name that doesn't start with T and end with rump. None? Someone mentioned Big Pharma earlier. So just to get us thinking outside the box a little bit, you know? So imagine that. And so Jesus wanted to see him. Oh, sorry. Wait, no, Zacchaeus wanted to see him. So Zacchaeus ran ahead to get a closer look at Jesus. He wanted to see, see Jesus. And so back then, let me tell you something. Back then, people, rich folks, they didn't run. It was undignified for rich folks to run. But, and I know it's different now, because like the more time we have, the wealthier we are, the more marathons we sign up for. <laughs> I know that's why I don't run. I'm just kidding, because I really should be running more. But back then, they, you know, rich folks didn't, didn't run. They had, oh, the only people that ran were people who were running around working, doing, having, you know, running around doing stuff. So the richer you were, you didn't run, you strolled. And the slower you strolled, the more money you had because you had everyone else running around doing the things that you needed to do. So if they didn't run, they didn't climb trees because that would be preposterous. So what that tells us is Zacchaeus really genuinely, earnestly, really wanted to see Jesus, that he was risking, to, his, was risking his reputation to see Jesus. And here comes Jesus. And Je Jesus didn't just want to see him or talk to him, didn't just want to hang out with him. He wanted to stay at his home. And this is significant because of something Jesus says in chapter 18. He says this, and I'm going to test all you to see if you've been listening to all the sermons your entire life and listening in Sunday school. See if you can complete this passage. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for 
a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Well done, you all get a ticket to heaven. <laughs> the same Jesus didn't despise him like the other Israelites did. Didn't write him off as a rich man who wouldn't get into heaven anyway. This great rabbi saw Zacchaeus as his true self and saw that he was more than just a tax collector. And because of that, because of that recognition of his true self, his true inner self, Zacchaeus had a change of heart. And he was inspired not just to repent, but to journey towards reparations by making things right. He recognized that he defrauded his own people, people that had struggled just like him, that had the same descendants as him, that had the same ancestors who had been enslaved by the Egyptians and by the Babylonians. He recognized that he had now become a traitor to his own people by working for the Roman government, not just by taking from them, but taking more than he should have. And he was so good at that so good at doing his job that he climbed this career ladder all the way to the top that now he was the CEO of Big Pharma or CEO of any large corporation you can think of, CEO of the factories that exploits all, all their workers. He was the equivalent of the commissioner of the IRS. He did it on the backs of his own people, adding to their oppression with every step that he took. But when he came down that tree, he was ready and willing to give away half his possessions and then four times as much to those that he cheated. Do you know what that means? It means he had so much that it didn't matter if he got rid of that much of it. It means he was hoarding his wealth and he didn't need all of it. And in his encounter with Jesus, he was made aware and he wanted to make things right. So I'm in seminary now and one of the I'm gonna sound like a geek, but I'm just gonna say it. So one thing I love about studying scripture is that the, the essence of the scripture, the meat of it, or if you're vegetarian, the Satan of it, you know, really comes through when you read the, passage, the passages before or what's happening leading up to the part that you're studying. So when we do that, if we look at the chapter before, the very last story that we, look, that we read is about Jesus' encounter with a blind beggar. And this is their exchange. The beggar asked Jesus, Lord, let me see again. And Jesus responds by saying, receive your sight, your faith, has saved you. And now this is why this is important. This same thing happens to Zacchaeus. When the text says that he climbs the tree, he climbed the tree so he could see Jesus. Then in seeing Jesus, he could see what justice was supposed to look like. He could see that he was hoarding his wealth and was hurting his people. He saw that he needed to make things right. And because of that, Jesus granted him salvation. Now it's not salvation how we understand it to be, a ticket to heaven. Salvation, the translation of salvation here is rescue and safety. And so for Zacchaeus, that might've been a sense of financial security that after giving his stuff away, that he'd be okay. Or it might be safety within his own people now, now that he was wanting to repair his relationship with his community. It might have been safety from the Roman government now that he was double-crossing them. 
It might have been rescue from the ways in which he was tied to his own wealth that caused him to blindly oppress his own. It might have been rescue from his, his, his slavery to his career that had, that, and his greed that has caused him to take advantage of his own and step on others to get to the top. So when we read this story, it's hopeful, right? We have hope that those CEOs, those people at the top, those politicians, they'll eventually see the ways in which they're complicit in systems of oppression. And that's supposed to give us hope. Earlier in Luke, in chapter three, John the Baptist quotes from Isaiah 40, and he says, all the crooked shall be made straight and all the rough ways made smooth. The story of Zacchaeus is just many stories that we hear and read from these prophecies throughout the Gospel of Luke coming true, all supported by Jesus' teachings. And from this, we can learn that the inversion of power is inevitable, that the people at the top will inevitably have to relinquish their power for the kingdom of God to come, for salvation to come for everyone for everyone to have access to that. And these prophecies were being fulfilled then, and they're being fulfilled now, and they continue to be fulfilled when we can become aware of ways in which we are complicit, just as Zacchaeus has. Fulfillment comes when we see and become aware of how we've been complicit in the systems of injustice. We must see how Jesus how Zacchaeus did, see, and then come down from that tree. I came to New York City eight years ago from Hong Kong. And I, when I was in Hong Kong, we didn't talk about race the way that you all talk about race here. And um, like Zacchaeus, I was high up on the tree and oblivious until I saw Christ. And it was at this church when I heard of a Jesus that was beckoning me to come down from that tree. And I had to come down. Jesus says, hurry and come down. Hurry, because I couldn't watch from up there anymore. From up there, I truly saw what was going on. I truly saw that even as a person of color, that I held privilege next to my siblings of color in the, way, in the ways that they were being mistreated. I saw this especially um, through my husband, who is African-American, and through his family, that I, a person of color, can still hold privilege. I saw, too, that um, how differently other immigrants were treated, that they were treated differently, and I held privilege just because I have this accent, and I don't sound like I'm, I haven't, I'm not born here, but I'm an immigrant. I held privilege in that way. I saw how much I contributed to systems of oppression against LGBTQIA folks because of my language use. I saw how I contributed in the ways of my, my personal biases. I also saw that I needed to make reparation and it was the first step towards that was in seeking relationship with people, especially with people who like me we're like that crowd and we're unseen. So now listen, I know us sitting here right now, we might not all be as rich as Zacchaeus, but we're all on that tree, all at varying, varying heights, because we all live in the city, unless you're here visiting, but if you had the means to travel here, 
You are on that tree, and that includes you. We can see, but let's be real. We're not truly woke. Most of us here can see, yeah, I'm just throwing that out there. I'm trying to be, <laughs> trying to be relevant. <laughs> Most of us can see, but what we really should be doing is hurrying down the tree. Most of us are just waking up, but we need to hurry down that tree and be with our people, be with our siblings, us, our siblings who are all ancestors of our created God. Christ is calling us to see one another, even through our differences in gender identity, in orientation, our racial differences, our socioeconomic differences. Christ is calling us to hurry down and repair relationship with one another. Christ is calling us even just to be with one another because it isn't enough for us to come through these doors and just worship together. We need to genuinely see each other because if we're not in relationship with one another, I don't know how we can genuinely hold empathy for the, for the other. Empathy is only built when we are in relationship with someone who is not like us. And then outside these doors, if we have political differences with others and contribute to this divided nation, Christ has also called us to hurry down. We're used to hearing or contributing to the grumblings of the crowd, right? Actually, we don't just grumble. We do more than grumble. We flat out call each other out. We're in this call-out culture where we just shut people down. And we say, no, you're wrong. And I'm guilty of doing this as someone who leans more liberal. We, we're so quick to say, you don't understand. You haven't read this book. You, you don't follow this person on Twitter or whatever like young millennials are doing to stay aware. You don't follow this person on TikTok. I just learned about TikTok, I'm so behind. But we're awful, we're mean. We don't know how to engage with people that are diff who, who, who don't agree with us. Nevertheless, God hears our grumbling. God sees your exhaustion after every tense debate. God hears your weariness and hears as you worry about our future. You might be sitting here and you might be the small percentage of people who are actually part of that crowd, who are legitimately angry that Jesus wants to dine with the Zacchaeuses of this world. And I'm fully aware there are people in this room that are part of that crowd. You are tired of a system that's being set up against you to fail. You are tired of working hard against it, just trying to get one step ahead, just one step. You're tired of our government that continues to fail you, promise after promise, election after election. And I wish I could say more than just say, I'm sorry. Those of us that are on that tree, we've gotta do more. God hears you, God sees you, God is angry with you, and God grieves with you. And those of us on, our, on that tree, we need to be doing that too. And so I want to speak these words over us from Isaiah 40. 
the same chapter that uh, John the Baptist earlier was quoting from. Isaiah 40, 28, 31. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. He is understanding, is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths will faint and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord to renew their strength, they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And I'm, I'm hopeful, because we're still here, aren't we? I'm hopeful because Zacchaeus did climb down from that tree. And I'm hopeful because even if Zacchaeus or Jesus, neither of them took down the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire did fall. The mission of spreading the good news that salvation is for everyone did go on and, and it continues to go on through, um, as Christ lives on through his disciples and through his followers. Jesus never called on his disciples to hope for change in the government. He said that power would be inverted. And for that to happen, it needs to start with us. It's got to start with us seeking self-reflection so we can be aware of ways in which we have been complicit and work towards reparations as Zacchaeus did. It's got to start with us here in this community seeing one another, seeing past each other's labels. And it's got to start with us seeing across political, economic, and racial divide. We've got to see each other in this room as fellow created of our Creator God.